Grab your Bibles, turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 12, where we pick up where we left off last time. And we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we need your Holy Spirit to do as we sung uh, earlier this evening, to open the eyes of our hearts, to understand your, your wonderful word, God breathed and truly Nothing's impossible with God, and we could have some life-changing moment as our hearts encounter your living truth and are set free. So we ask for that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, first, of, of course, we need some context. So uh, we've got a map for you to be reminded that Israel is going through kind of a nasty divorce with itself. All right, there's a split that they will never recover from, and now we are entering a period of history called uh, the Divided Kingdom. And the cause, of course, was uh, started really uh, by King Solomon. He led the way with his idolatry, and the people, the sheep of God's pasture, the Israelites just kind of followed. And now there will never again be a united Israel under a king ever again until the second coming when Christ appears and he will sit upon the throne, David's throne, because Jesus, uh, through his mother, is related to King David. Thus, the prophecies concerning um, the son of David, Jesus Christ, reigning and ruling uh, over a united Israel shall come to pass. But in the meantime here, as the Lord has predicted, the kingdom has been torn into two, uh, uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam uh, will get the southern tribe of Judah, but it also includes Benjamin. So he's going to rule over two tribes, or you can consider them states, all right? And also, uh, uh, Jeroboam is Rehoboam's rival, and he gets the top 10 tribes. And um, we're going to see about 20 years they both get to be king. 17 uh, years in the south, 22 years in the north. And so, okay, so last time what did we see? We saw how the tragic split really uh, uh, happened. Um, people, Rehoboam came to the throne and Israel came and gathered, and they said, listen, we don't mind serving you if you lighten the load a little bit. And so because Rehoboam, Rehoboam answered harshly and said, in essence, you ain't seen nothing yet, they said, the northern ten said, okay, well, you build your own cities. We're out of here. And then they crowned Jeroboam as their king. And so the battle lines were drawn. And then we saw last time how the Lord, through a prophet, averted what would have been a really bloody and devastating civil war because the south, after the split, the south, Rehoboam leading, Solomon's boy leading the way, said men to the battle stations. And they got ready along the border to go in and force them through military might to submit to the rule of Rehoboam. But the prophet spoke, and here we go in verse 22. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to the whole house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says, do not go up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites, go home, every one of you. But this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. And we took a look at that. That was our closing thought last time. Now, I said, underline that they obeyed because uh, what a concept, uh, their obedience, uh, you won't be seeing that kind of phrase uh, much in the chapters ahead, unfortunately. And so we continue now, verse 25 through 30. Now, then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices, 
at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Now, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. All right, let's pause. Uh, If you're taking notes, unbelief and fear. There's a great correlation between the two. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. In other words, fear. What they will think about us. What they may do if they're displeased whether they like us or not. That kind of thing is called the fear of man. And anytime you're motivated by uh, trying to manipulate people into liking you or so that you will not have to suffer any consequences uh, for living for God, then you're, you're not gonna be blessed. And so boy, do we ever see a great illustration of the fear of man proving to be a snare tonight. So. Uh, Jeroboam gets settled, all right? So Jeroboam is now getting settled. He establishes a new capital, and so I have a map here for you, and it's pretty self-evident there. Shechem, to the left, becomes the new Jerusalem for the northern kingdom, all right? It's a gathering place that had been for, for many, many years. And he also had kind of a royal residence there in Penuel, which means face of God. And you remember back in Genesis 33 or so around there, uh, Jacob wrestles with the Lord there, sees God face to face in the angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Jesus, and names that place face of God. And that's what Peniel means, face of God in Hebrew. Now, for me, just that this this rival king has picked two locations that just kind of preach a sermon about obeying God and not disobeying. Shechem is the place where Dinah was violated and the two brothers, Simeon and Levi, went uh, ballistic in revenge and just uh, slaughtered people and displeased God. And and, and so just the two places really just, if if he would just read his Bible, he could could understand that he doesn't have to do things his own way. So he's getting settled there. Jeroboam gets settled and Jeroboam gets insecure. And you're given there in the text his thoughts. He thinks to himself, well, who can say that except the Holy Spirit writing through the author saying, the God who knows the secrets of our hearts is revealing his and saying, and by the way, Romans 2.16 says that God knows and will judge the secrets of our hearts. Um, and so we're, we, get, we take a look at this place and you can turn the lights back on. Thank you. And uh, we could go back. Yeah, very good. That's the map that we're thinking about here. So Jeroboam now is indulging himself in what, what we like to call stinking thinking. All right? So here you get his thoughts, and the Holy Spirit just reveals this is what was going through the guy's head, and this is what is going to cause uh, the whole problem, all right? Because uh, instead of listening to what the Lord promised him through Ahijah the prophet said, listen, you're going to get 10 tribes, and if you walk with God, he's going to bless you as, as blessed as King David and his dynasty. But instead of that, he starts thinking in his brokenness and his fearfulness and his anxious thoughts and his fear of men. And, and the Holy Spirit just shows you right there. He's thinking, okay, fine. We've got our own territory now. Uh, geographically and politically, we're divided. But he's thinking theologically, we're not. We're all still Jews. So three times a year, every Jewish male who's 20 and older has to go to Jerusalem for three of the seven beasts. Not only that, what if you got a sin problem or, or you got a problem where you need to go to the temple and offer before the Lord? So uh, he, he doesn't know what to do. So he starts thinking, what if? 
instead of since God. Think about that. Every time you want to think, what if I like to, in my own mind, this is what I do. When I think, well, what if I stop and I say, since God has promised such and such, I will. Instead of leading yourself down a, a path uh, where there's no faith, no confidence, no boldness, no, no, no joy, no peace because of your thoughts. Yeah? Wrong thoughts bring wrong behaviors. Stop it here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Take every thought captive. Just let them run around in there wild like a bunch of banshee Indians. <laughs> it's probably not politically correct to say that. I'm sorry, like a bunch of what? Wild kangaroos. How about that? All right. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Take your thoughts captive. You don't just sit there as like, like, you know, listening to all of that. Let your mind dwell on these things. Think about these things. Whatever things are true. Whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever's excellent, whatever's worthy of praise. These things, let your mind think about these things. So he's just saying, I can't, I can just see what's going to happen. They're all going to go down in Jerusalem. They're going to hang out there. They're going to listen to Rehoboam again, and they're going to have fond memories. They're going to like him better than me. And then you know what? They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me, and they're going to go back to Ray. <laughs> Driven by fear and insecurity. It's bad. It's really, really dangerous to be an insecure person. Insecurity will ruin your life. It will ruin you. It'll, it ruins families, marriages, careers, churches, Nations. The woman who's always thinking her husband's cheating, no matter what he does. The manager who's always thinking someone's after his job. The pastor who's intimidated by the young, gifted man. <laughs> I was just laughing because Jim was just up here. The pastor who's intimidated by the young, gifted Jims that, that are, are up here all the time. Being raised up, ah, the souls, and and I, I'm happy. I pray to God for all the young men in this church to not only um, be gifted and be able to preach sermons and pastor churches, but to go way above a hundred times whatever God gives me to do in this life. Uh, the souls who are jealous of the Davids and seek to erase them, the fear and insecurity. Fear and insecurity produces controlling, seriously sick behaviors that poison relationships and undermine success and happiness. You cannot have faith and fear in the same heart. You cannot do it. You remember the disciples on the boat. They give way to, to panic, right? So what does Jesus say? You've got a faith problem. When you're afraid, you have a faith problem. He says, oh, ye of little faith. Because if you had more faith in God, God had already just said, hey, dude, you're, you're going, dudes, you're, you're going over. We're going to the other side. God's on, the, on board. Jesus is, is in the vessel, right? He says, we're going to the place that I've prepared for you. So when you're afraid, when you doubt, you don't have faith. We need more faith, and that will put to flight our fear. So... What happened here? Um, Jeroboam, forget? What did he do? You know, if you do whatever I command you, and I'm quoting from last chapter, the Lord speaking to him, walk in my ways and do what is right, as David did, I'll build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David, and I'll give Israel to you. He had the promise, but he just didn't... He, he decided, look, there are two voices. It always comes down to two voices. God's promise, God's voice to you, and your own brokenness and whatever else is inspiring that. So it'll always be a showdown for you every single time, doesn't it? It comes down to this. God's assurance or your brokenness? What are you going to go with? Uh, his promise or your fears? You got a choice. 
surrendering and trusting or resisting and manipulating those around you. Well, Jeroboam of the north will choose the latter. So he's, Jeroboam gets settled, he gets insecure, and now he gets advice. Verse 28, oh, that was really silly. What a fool's errand this, this guy is on right here. You know why? He gets advice for doing a bad thing in the best possible way. That's not very smart. So he's thinking, what do we do about keeping these folks from going down to Jerusalem and defecting? How do we stop that from happening? So the consensus comes back. Uh, let's give them an alternative. So we'll cater to the people's convenience. Uh, and don't forget to disguise your motives when you tell them. All right. So listen to the false reasons he gives. He says, it's just too much for you guys to trek down to Jerusalem. It's a long and arduous journey. That's expensive. And out of love and concern, because we care, all right? So the, 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 the little bumper sticker on his chariot, his royal chariot, is we care, okay? And, and then there's a posture of Dan and, and, the, and uh, Bethel where he's going to put these golden cows. He says, because we care, we're going to put uh, a worship center in Dan to the north and Bethel to the south, conveniently located for your worship needs. (laughs) Now, you don't need to go there. Now, one author put it this way. How many lives, how many Christian lives have been short-circuited by the temptation to opt for convenience instead of counting the cost of discipleship? What what a very diabolically inspired thing because people love convenience. I mean, there's not a whole lot of convenient in the phrase, whoever wants to come after me, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. It's just not convenient to live a godly life. It really is not. It takes a lot of work. I mean... We had a need today, and, it, and, it, and in the office, and, or it was yesterday, or this week we had a need, and it, and it interrupted the flow of everything, and it was a good thing. It was what we were supposed to do. It was not convenient. It wasn't convenient on anybody in the office, but it was necessary, and it was good, and it was blessed, but it was not convenient. Is serving God in any aspect convenient? I don't think so. Is getting up early and going on your knees and disciplining your thoughts and, and, and focusing everything and reading and studying the Bible first thing in the morning, is it convenient? Is it convenient coming to church when you could be doing other things? Nothing about growing in Christ is convenient. And so the devil says to this king, hey, just make it convenient. Make it shiny. Got to make it shiny. You got to get some bling in it. If you get some bling, then you got the thing. Whatever. That was desperation. (laughs) The first thing that rhymed with bling. Thank you. Yeah, so wow, watch out for that. The devil's always got a shortcut in an easier way. And he'll throw in the bling for free. So uh, here comes the line, verse 28. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. This is the guy, Ahijah the prophet says, hey, walk with the Lord. He'll bless you like he blessed David. He'll give the whole country to you. And he says, after God put him on a throne and gave him 10 of the 12, and says, I'm going to bless you. And he puts him there, and then he says, Hero Israel, because I'm so afraid you're going to leave and like him better and leave me, because God's promise can't be relied upon. So I've got to control and manipulate everything. Wow, here are your gods. Hashtag been there, done that with the golden calves, right? Don't worry, I'll grow out of the hashtag thing, but I really like it right now. All right. So, what was it? 500 years earlier, there was a golden calf, right? 
So he's thinking, well, one golden calf, maybe two. You know, two's better than one. So he gives them two golden calves at each location. And by the way, uh, Bethel's more in the south of the northern kingdom. If you divide the northern kingdom up, the southern part would be Bethel, where it was the most popular place to worship those calves. And Dan, at the tip-top north. And then the verse says, and by the way, they, they'd even, they liked it so much they even made the trek up to Dan. We were in Dan, and I've got a little one-minute takeaway from Pastor Jim's devotion at the site that we're talking about tonight, where the golden calves went up. All right, let's see if we can see this. Those, that's the place. He erected two golden calves, placed one in the city of Bethel in the south, and one here in the city of Dan in the north. And he told the people, here are your gods, O Israel, which led you out of Egypt. Now you can see there is the doorway which led into this false temple. The people would have came in and performed their sacrifices right there on the altar. You can see the four horns of the altar. And then if you look over here, there are some stairs that extend up to this platform. Right here in this very place would have been that golden calf, that idol. And this idol would eventually become the undoing of the tribe of Dan there in 722 BC when God judged them bringing the Assyrians down and destroying this area and taking the people into exile. Wow. Here we are. Let's do it again. (laughs) I could watch him again. That's awesome. By the way, we want to go again next year. This year was a little iffy with the building and the move, and so we do want to make that pilgrimage again. So uh, put that uh, in the back of your minds. Um, so there you have it. That's where it was going on in Dan and Bethel kind of looked the same way. I have written down here, what a slap in the face. What, what a slap in the face. I think idolatry is, is the, the biggest hurt to God's heart that, that we could do. The biggest hurt is to kind of cheat on him and then to cheat on him with golden calves. Yikes. That, that, you, you remember when he said to Moses, I read this in my quiet time this morning. It, I just in my reading plan, happens to be in Exodus. And I read this part where uh, after the golden calf whole scene, the Lord says to Moses, stand out of the way as I wipe them all out. And Moses, don't worry. I'll make of you a great nation. I can start all over again. I'm God. So I, I, look what they did after what I did for them. Bowing down, carousing, sexual immorality around that. Yikes. Not good. Not good. Not good at all. Um, Charles Spurgeon on this passage. <clears throat> Men are willing to worship God if they can do with their own rituals and symbols that they have themselves devised, if they can do it with their own rituals and symbols that they have themselves devised. So they're worshiping God in their minds. They're worshiping Yahweh still, but through the golden cows. They come and they do their own thing uh, that way. Uh, Like the person who says today, I'm a spiritual person. Almost everybody I know says that. I'm a spiritual person. I haven't been to, to church in years, but I pray a lot. And my, where would I be without my faith? I hear this every single day, and so do you. Why? Because men and women want to worship God in their own way. And if they can worship God in their own way, then they're good. They're all good. And uh, that's what I just heard about happened uh, at the Grammys. Now, I, I don't watch that kind of filth, so, uh, and it was this year, pretty bad. 
if you read about it. I don't, rec I don't recommend that you go and read much about it because you'll be defiled. Uh, there was sat Satanism and witchcraft. Uh, after his wife opened the Grammys with really a pornographic uh, performance that even the world, there was an outcry, even in the world. All right, after that happened, with the gay marriages that were performed during one of the songs. After all that happened, the rapper gets up, Jay-Z Jay -Z says this, and I quote, I wanna thank God, I mean a little bit, for this award, but also all the universe for conspiring and for putting that beautiful light of a young lady in my life, the rapper said in a heartfelt acceptance speech. I want to thank God. Everybody says it. I want to thank God a little bit. That's what he says. There's headlines everywhere. Jay-Z says, I want to thank God, comma, a little bit. That's what the world's religion is. I want to thank God a little bit. All right? But I also want to thank the universe for bringing me the light of this woman who just, in front of 28.5 million people uh, defiled them, all those young girls watching who want to be like her. Just, just awful. So Israel, with the calves, they want to thank God a little bit, right? And they, they, they like the calves and the bling and all of that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 4 and 5 says... Uh, in the end times, terrible, terrible times will come. They will be lovers of pleasure rather, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with that. And so uh, verse 30, it says, this became a sin. And what that means is, is that it started out as a su suggestion. And there's a chronology in sin. There are promptings, and there are plannings, and then uh, the desire uh, conceives, and then it becomes sin and an action, and then it brings forth death. There's so many places in the chronology of sin that, where we can repent, where we can stop and have a change of heart and uh, take the exit ramp. But this became a sin because they acted on the suggestion. And the text lets you know they even went out of their way to travel all the way up to Dan. Uh, they didn't need their arms twisted. And so uh, let's continue, verse 31. So Jeroboam built shrines. So he's, he's going to town now. <laughs> Jeroboam not only put the, two, the calves in their places, but built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people. Even though they weren't Levites, he instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made on the 15th day of the eighth month. A month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites, and get this, and went up to the altar to make offerings. He himself now was acting as high priest. So if you're taking notes, as I said, unbelief and fear, uh, number one, and now selfish ambition. So Jeroboam gets settled, he gets insecure, he gets advice, and gets what he wants, and now he gets carried away. So he doesn't stop with the two worship centers. Now shrines on every hill there just to uh, bring idolatry to the local neighborhoods. So they used to go up on hills and they'd do their thing, their detestable practices up there. Now, he's breaking all the rules. He's just going hog wild. There's a huge list of things he's doing here that are so blasphemous and against God's laws. So, uh, sin may present itself as an, as an individual act, but the reality is that one sin is connected to a multitude of others. And I, I've given you this concept before. I've got a picture of strep throat bacteria. Now, look. 
That's the way sins are. The sin of selfishness is like a Trojan horse. Uh, Selfishness, James chapter 3, verse 16. For where you have envy or selfish ambition, a self-centered life, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. This is what's wrong with Jeroboam. He's a self-centered guy. And, and, and that's what it is. You just think, well, I'm just going to make one calf or two calves, right? And then there's the next sin and the next sin and the next sin. And, and that's how it is with us. There, there's a whole chronology. Envy leads to slander. And then slander leads to hate. And then hate leads to anger. The anger leads to violence and leads to a crime. And then the crime leads to lying because you've got to cover it up. It, that's the way it is. So don't, don't ever think, that's just a little sin. Never think that. Well, it's just a little envy. No, it isn't. Envy is listed in James 3.16 as the mother load of every other thing that's connected to it. So best for you. And by the way, strep will kill you left untreated. This will kill you. We just think it's just one little bacteria. No, no, it's not. So you can go back to the, to the map. And so, so here comes the rest of the chain. Okay, so verse 31, Jeremiah, Jeroboam builds shrines so everybody can have their little neighborhood hill. And here's a little ray of sunshine that you wouldn't know unless you read the companion text in 2 Chronicles chapter 11. It turns out that not everybody in the north was thrilled with this king. And guess who, who said no way? The Levites. The Levites said the, the priests, the Levites, said, we're going back to Jerusalem. And all the priests, because he was just uh, uh, anointing anybody to do God's work, all the priests said, you crossed the line. And the priests, well, it says, they moved, left their, their homes and their pasture lands, and they moved to Jerusalem. And for three years, Jerusalem did very well because the priests led, and Second Chronicles 11 says, Anybody who wanted to seek the true God, the Lord, they led them back to Judah. So there was a defection of sorts. And and for the Levites, it was uh, when he crossed the line with the golden calves and and basically asking non-Levites to lead. Now, by the way, having a non-Levite assist in the, the ministry there was a death sentence. It was the death penalty. And, and so it was a very, very serious thing. I started thinking, why did the Levites, why, were, why was it the Levites that uh, came to the truth and went back to Jerusalem? Because they're the ones who knew the word of God, and they're the ones who would serve others. And it's always those, listen to me, who know the word of God and are ministry-minded people who stand. That's, those are the mature people. So the Levites are the ones who said, oh man, this, this guy's poison. This is bad. And the Levites, because they serve the Lord, they're mature Christians, they know the word, they're able to lead others um, in the right way. So what to do? Religion needs ministers, so no problem. Any willing party, it says that uh, he would ordain anybody. Any pastor would, would do good for by Jeroboam. Uh, so he appoints all sorts of people, your text says, installed priests of his own choosing, and wait, there's more. He himself becomes uh, a priest himself in verse 33. Now, where we find, where will we find a pastor to officiate with these golden calves? That was the question, right? Ordain your own. Because the real McCoy would never do that. And they did not, right? So nothing new under the sun. Who's going to marry the same-sex couples on the Grammys? You, you can't get a born-again pastor to do it. So here's what they did. The Grammys producers went to L.A. County clerk, and they deputized uh, Dana, what's her last name? I've got it here, Dana Owens. 
Uh, you know her by Queen Latifah. They deputized her. You fill out a form, you pay a fee, and they make you, quote, deputy up for a day. And you are allowed to marry. So that's what they did. So she got deputized to perform the marry, marriages, same-sex couples, during the Grammys while the song is singing and promoting that everything in love is cool. That's exactly what Jeroboam did. Jeroboam made a bunch of deputies for the day, but for life. And so they could minister in ungodly ways and perform what only God called men uh, should be doing. Um, Oh, well, but who cares what God thinks, right? Because we just want to thank God a little, (laughs) right? You're catching on here. Uh, So Jeroboam, uh, by the way, he establishes new religious holidays to coincide with the real ones. So in other words, Jerusalem is celebrating some festival like the festival is named here of tabernacles, right? And it's like Thanksgiving. So he's going to have his own Thanksgiving. And so he does counterfeit feasts uh, there, the eighth month would be tabernacle. So unauthorized priests doing unauthorized uh, things on unauthorized temples, uh, not something that God honored. Warren Wearsby put it this way, Jeroboam with his new religion, calendar, temples, altars, and priesthood had all the necessary ingredients for a religion except the most important one, the Lord. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Let's go a little bit into chapter 13. We'll finish up. One through three. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. (laughs) He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David the kingdom of the south. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign. He said, this is the sign of the Lord has declared the altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. All right, so let's talk about this. The Lord graciously fires a warning shot across the bow of Jeroboam's ship, as it were. So you'll notice no prophet comes from uh, the north. He has to come from the south. Because you will not, in 20 kings that will be coming to the north, not one is good. Right to the end. They're all bad in the north. And so up comes a guy from the, uh, the south, and he, got, he gets to Bethel right when they're having the worship service. They're at church, and the guy stands up, and he says, I've got a word, O altar, O altar. You're going to be doing some burning, but it's going to be the priest bones on your altar. And so, yeah, he got his attention, and everybody else is in the place. And uh, true, by the way, he even names him Josiah. 340 years later, Josiah comes and does the same thing that he just said he would do. Josiah is a king related to David by blood. He's a king of Judah, and he comes in, and it says there in 2 Kings 23 and verse 15, he fulfills the word of the Lord. 340 years Later, that's pretty amazing. I started thinking about that, and it just blew my mind that God is saying, hey, listen, I, in 340 years, I got this guy, Josiah. It, he's going to appear in 340 years. How do you know that? How, how do you do that? How, just, you know what he told Jeremiah? He said, Jeremiah, listen, chapter 1, verse 5. Before you were Before I put you in your mother's womb, I knew you a long time before that. Ephesians 1.4, God chose us in him before the creation of the world. Think about this. He's saying, I knew you before there was a sun, moon, and stars. I predestined you 
in an eternal way in my love to know me. I knew your name. I knew every day of your life. I've known you from before your mother, but before the earth. That just brought to me such a peace, such a confidence, such a boldness. This is a God who's known me forever. In God's mind, I've existed always and forever. And he has predestined me to become and to land in the place that he has prepared for me. If God is for me and you, who could be against us? Man, 340 years later, up comes Josiah. You know, what if they didn't name him Josiah? What if there was an argument with mom and dad? You know, dad said, hey, I like Josiah. And the mom said, you know what? I I like Joshua. You know, it just, how does God, that's amazing. So, uh, just a wonderful thing. Now, the prophet doesn't tell Jeroboam it's going to be 340 years. Oh, right? He wants him to think it's going to come really soon. And so he has to live until his dying day with the thought and the threat of this king from the south is going to come up here and do an how you know, it'd be my bones on there, right? That's the way it is with the second coming. God, God wants us to believe that it's today because, quite frankly, it could be today. And when he says, I'm coming soon, he says that all the time. Why? Because it is soon to him. A thousand years is a day. He's only been away a couple days. So he says, I'm coming soon. Why? He wants you and me to live with the understanding that it could be in 10 minutes from now because that invokes in us godliness. It helps us to believe that this thing that God is doing is imminent. And that's what he wanted him to believe, and it's what he wants us to believe, because it's the truth. It is imminent. By the way, you know what? It doesn't just mean I'm coming quickly this way, but you're coming quickly (laughs) this way. So either way, it's really quick, all right? Because parousia just means presence. So you will quickly, very quickly, (laughs) be in his presence one way or the other. Amen? Amen. All right. So by the way, the prophet says, hey, and by the way, there's a sign. These aren't just empty words. He says, the altar is going to be demolished and ashes will be dumped all over the place. So four four through 10 and then we'll be done. So when King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, pointed his finger, seize him. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was, whoa, split apart, and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand might be restored. (laughs) All right, sorry. I've got an attitude about the bad guys. All right. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, come home with me and have something to eat now that we're best friends and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, even if you were to give me half of your stinking possessions, sorry, I I added stinking, it's not really in there. I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now, So God's merciful warning was the last point that I failed to tell you about, and now it's God's powerful sign. So Jeroboam got what he wanted, he gets warned, and now he gets whacked, all right? So infuriated in verse four, he issues the command to the interrupter of his worship service with a pointed out angry finger, And he says, arrest him. 
and the hand just withers up. Now, see, there are some things that we need to see when we get to heaven, and that's going to be one of them. That's one of my requests. I just want to see that scene lived out like a DVD on the sky. Just just seize him. I just can't wait to see that. And, and, And as he's trying to fix it, the altar, big boom in the back, and the thing opens up, and the ashes go everywhere while he's trying to fix his hand, like, oh, ro this, this is not going well. And so he says, oh, please beg God, your God, on my behalf, pray that my hand is restored. Notice, oh, pray that God will forgive me for my sins and for my foolish heart. Pray to God that he change me and make me a new person. Oh, save me from his wrath and the eternal condemnation. Pray to the Lord for me, for my wickedness. No, 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 no. As the remaining chapters will reveal, he just wants to get out of the pickle. He wants to get out of the jam. He wants to fix the situation. He doesn't want to fix the cause of the problem. Oh, God, if you ever did this, I promise. Whatever. That's so true of all wicked sinners who don't want to change. Just fix my hand. That's all I care about. Well, now I could hear myself, and I'm sorry. I do have a bad attitude sometimes, especially toward the bad guys, right? So if he's telling me, oh, just, just pray to the Lord for me. Look at my hand. You know, I would have just said, hey, pray to the heifer. You know, pray to the cows. You got two golden cows right there. They're all ears, buddy. Just don't talk to them. What do I hear? Moo, moo. My gosh. Pray, you know. Or ask one of your deputies. Ask one of your deputies, deputy for a day. Come on, he needs a little help. Can you fix the hand, Mr. Deputy? No, you don't ask Mr. Deputy, and you're not asking the calves now. Suddenly, you want me to ask God, the living God, who you apparently realize who to ask for when you're in trouble. Oh, suddenly, everything's so clear. Where to go when you're in need, but not where to go just to be obedient. Ouch. Instead of getting right with God, he's going to schmooze God's man. So then he says, hey, buddy, (laughs) thank you so much for this. Why don't you come over to my house? We'll hang out. You know, we'll watch the game. You know, (laughs) we'll we'll just be good old friends. You must be hungry and thirsty. There's something not right about that, and he knows it, because God already warned him. He's going to try to schmooze you. Stay clear. And so he does. However, this story takes a very troubling turn, very sad, very intriguing. Commentators have spilled a lot of ink about it. It's really, it'll really get you interested. And you'll have all kinds of emotions because it doesn't go good. He's kind of a hero right now. But he slips and falls in this chapter. And he ends up dying. And it just, it's really disconcerting. So, I'll give you a week to think about it, all right? <laughs> you can read ahead, but it won't help. <laughs> it won't help. You'll be scratching your head just like me. I've been, for 35 years, I have trouble with this story. Uh, so we're going to think about it, pray about it, and see uh, what the Lord has for us next week. Here are my four reflections, all right? So you know how I do it, right? I get done, and then I just sit back. And I just write four things that really stood out to me. My one-minute takeaway. Number one, believe God's promises rather than your doubts and your insecurities. Believe God's promise instead of your doubt and your insecurity. Number two, live your Christian life by the scriptures. Worship God his way not yours. Number three, if God brings you a painful lesson, the first order of business is a change of heart, not a change of circumstance. Once we've repented, 
we can ask God for grace to help us with the consequences of our sin. And lastly, just like God knew Josiah was going to be born and do great things, he knew about you as well and destined you for some very good things. Just walk this out. Just walk it out. You don't, you cannot be uh, morally perfect, but you can be faithful. You can just be in love with him. You can keep short accounts with him. Walk this thing out. You're going to wake up one day in a glorified body with the king of kings looking straight at your face and he's going to say, look what I have for you. All your rewards, every little thing that he's been keeping track of, he's going to say, look, and you're going to be, you're going to be wowed. Walk it out. Just walk it out. It's yours. It's already happened. It's from God's point of view. Just walk it out. You're as good as there. Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your wonderful truth and your promises and the lessons that we learn vicariously through the bad guys, Lord, because there's, <laughs> there's kind of a bad guy in every one of our hearts. And uh, so we are thankful for the Holy Spirit who keeps that sinful nature in check as we cooperate with you. We pray that the truth that we see and the lessons that we learn through these incidents recorded by the Holy Spirit that would bring us strength and resolve to live for you all the days of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's not a lot of things I like about getting old, dur. <laughs> but one thing I like is that there is some wisdom and you have some experience to know that the things that your soul goes running after, the rival loves, they just don't deliver. And you have the record in your mind when you're older. You've just been there, done that, and just like, pfft, you learn. You learn. It's just not worth chasing after things or, or even in your mind's eye, things that just can't satisfy. They don't deliver. We just focus on serving the Lord, redeeming the time, because he's coming quickly. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you that you are the answer to that God-shaped void in our hearts. And Lord, you, you want us to enjoy life, have an abundant life, but to, to worship and serve you first, to seek you with all of our hearts, Lord, and to love you with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, to love others as we love ourselves, and then everything else makes sense. So help us, Father, to put you first always, to love you and have no rival thrones, to do our Christian life your way, according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.